Scripture reading from this morning is from Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Let me encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and go to that text that was just read to us, uh, Romans chapter 6. If you're using one of the Bibles that may be picked up on the way in, that's page 946, uh, Romans 6. That text that was just read will serve as our uh, sermon text this morning. We're having a baptism service next week, uh, and as I mentioned before, we can have those at any time. Um, we just happen to have someone next week that wants to do that, and so uh, I thought, wow, it's been a while since I've taught on baptism. I looked at my notes, according to my notes, and maybe I missed something, but it's been since, uh, I think, 2018 was the last time uh, I preached a sermon about baptism, and so I thought, well, uh, maybe it's time to do that again, and so that's what we're going to look at. Uh, and, you know, one of the reasons why I think that uh, sometimes it's important to come back and think about these things is because, uh, particularly in a Baptist church, uh, we can get really familiar with uh, baptism, um, and we kind of forget about it in some ways. And it's possible that we can be too familiar to the point where we lose the wonder and the awe of it. Um, I wonder if I lived near the Grand Canyon, um, if I would over time, lose the wonder and awe of it. You know, a few years ago, my family, we went to the Grand Canyon, and uh, we stood at the edge there and uh, snapped this picture, and we just were amazed by it. But I wonder if, uh, if I lived there, if I worked, you know, at the gift shop or something like that. I, I bet it probably wouldn't take me too long before I would go to work and finish my shift and things. I wouldn't even look at the canyon anymore because familiarity can, uh, can have a negative effect on us sometimes. And so I wonder uh, if, if baptism is like that for us sometimes. It's beautiful, but we get so familiar with the concept of it that we don't stop to take it in again. And so what I hope to do today, I hope that this sermon today gives us the opportunity to stop at the edge of the, the rim of the canyon again 
and just kind of stop and, and look at the beauty of baptism uh, once more and uh, take it all in. And so what I plan to do is I plan to share two theological points uh, based on the text and then speak to some common obstacles that people face concerning baptism. And there's a handout uh, that has the outline uh, on the table over there if you're interested in it. Before I I begin, though, uh, the text has already been read towards us. I want to give uh, some context, and the context of this really starts in the previous chapter. Okay, so if you look at chapter 6, and it says, what shall we say then, right? Okay, and so that's connecting it to the previous chapter. You need to understand that chapter divisions in the Bible came much later. It was really a feature that came later on as they were printing things to make it a little bit easier to get there. The, The original didn't have chapter divisions. So sometimes it seems a little arbitrary uh, in the chapter and verse divisions, uh, but that's because they, they, they really were in a lot of ways. And so this is one of those things where you, if you just pick up in verse 1, it says, what shall we say then? You've you got to go back and you've got to see what was happening. And so if you go up into chapter 5, just a, a couple verses there, in verse 20 it says, um, well, in the text, in the context, it's saying that because one man's sin, death entered into the world, but then by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous, it says in verse 19. But it says in verse 20, now, the law came in to increase the trespass, okay, the sin. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that's an important phrase. Where sin was increasing, grace is greater, okay? So what Paul's point, who is the author of Romans, Paul is saying that, you know, it doesn't matter how great of a sinner you are. It doesn't matter how great a sin there is. Where sin increased, grace abounds even more. So that, verse 21, that as sin reigned in death, grace may also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So he's saying that no matter how bad of a sinner you are, no matter how sin increases, grace is going to increase more. So Paul anticipates the question, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? That grace may abound? He says, well, if you're saying that, God, that grace abounds in the presence of sin, does it really matter how we live our lives then? Should we just live our lives no matter how we want because God's grace is going to abound so much more then, right? He's anticipating this question that all of us would have asked, right? Oh, so you're telling me that God's grace is greater than all my sin? In fact, wherever sin is, God's grace is going to be greater than that and cover that? Okay, well, I guess it doesn't matter how I live then, right? He says, by no means, verse 2, okay, is how can we who died to sin still live in it? So that's the context of it. And then he moves to baptism as the picture of this, okay? And, and I'll just stay on the, uh, say on the, on the front, there are some who would look at this text and say, this is not talking about water baptism, this is talking about spirit baptism. Uh, there's really no distinction in Paul's economy about water baptism and, and it, for that matter, any New Testament author. Uh, it's, it's more of a, the, the water baptism was the sign of spirit baptism, of, uh, of conversion, of salvation, okay? And so it's an artificial distinction to say one or the other. In fact, I believe if the Apostle Paul himself were standing here today and we say, hey, Paul, you know, appreciate the letter here, did a good job with that. Sentences were a little bit long at times, but other than that, good letter. Um, I think, you know, uh, if we were to talk to him and say, is this water baptism or spirit baptism? He would go, uh, both? You know, it, it's, it's not one or the other here. So I just bring that so you, you have that understanding of it. So that's the context. Let me give you the goal for today, and then uh, we'll dive in to those two theological points. Here's the goal. 
My sermon goal is that I hope all of us will find relief and recalibration by remembering baptism, okay? So if, if, if you're a Christian, you have been baptized, um, my, my, my prayer is and my goal is at the end of the sermon, you will find relief and recalibration by looking at uh, baptism. At the same time, I hope that some will be motivated to be baptized, some as early as next week. Okay, I hope that when you look at the subject and you look at it and you look at yourself and you say, okay, maybe I haven't been baptized in the way that God has intended after conversion. You know, I'm praying that uh, when we look at the significance of this, that you'll be motivated to join in believer's baptism. So that's the goal today. Let's dive in. But before I do that, let me pray and ask God's blessing. Father, I need to pause because... Anytime we open your word, anytime we talk about anything as important like baptism or, or anything from your word, God, we need your spirit to guide us. And so I need your spirit to help me communicate. Communicate in a way that is helpful, that is accurate to the text, that is clear in my communication. And Father, I, I need your enablement to do that. This isn't about skill. This isn't about uh, oratory abilities. This isn't about uh, uh, the ability to, to package a sermon well and all that. This, this is about your spirit using your word in, in the lives of people, whoever's listening, either here in person, uh, gym, online, God, wherever they're at, Lord, I pray that your spirit would guide us. And so please keep us from distraction. Help us to focus on you and may your spirit... Uh, do a work in hearts that only you can do. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. All right. So I said there's two theological points, and then we're going to talk about some overcoming some obstacles. First uh, theological point that I want to talk about today is that baptism reminds us that death is not always bad. Okay? I mean, we're kind of tend to, we tend to think about death, but we think about it as always in a negative sense, and we can say this in a positive way, is that death is sometimes good, right? I mean, I mean, there are sometimes that we just want some things to die, right? I mean, there are things in our lives that we just want to die, okay? So in our country, in our world, we're dealing with this virus, right? Okay? We just want that thing to die, right? We just want to get back to normal and everything like that. That's something that we just want to die. So death is not always bad, and, and it's sometimes we want want things to die. And, and, or, you know, um, you're, you're out in your lawn and you, and you see all the weeds and you're in your garden, you see all the weeds. You know, how many of you, you gardeners out there, you just want to like make those weeds die. You know, you're just, you're just, you're just fighting with them all the time. And, you know, it's like you, you mow the lawn and then you're like, ah, oh. so you, you put the lawnmower away and you, you stand at the driveway and you're like, ah. Oh. It's good, and you turn around, and then you realize you forgot something, and there's weeds already. I mean, poof, I mean, they're there, right? They wait for you to turn your back, right? Okay, you just want those things to die, right? So it's not always bad and everything. You know, some of you want spiders to die, okay? Okay, and um, you, you, you know, I, I love this meme here of, of like, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> House is down, but hey, I got the spider, all right, okay? You know, the, if, you, if you search, there's some pretty funny memes like this. You know, like one is like in you know, the house up in flames or whatever, and it's like this. You know, saw a spider, maybe overreacted, but spider's dead, you know? Uh, we just want some things to die at times, right? Okay, this text here 
is, is, is telling us where death is good, okay? Where there's something that is actually good when it dies. And so what Paul is saying here, he's saying spiritually, Paul is telling us that our baptism symbolizes death to sin. That's in the text here. He says, we were buried, uh, or verse 3, do you know all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so we are baptized into his death. Now, what does that mean? Look at verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him and that our body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that, okay, here's the purpose of all this, that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. And so what the baptism is symbolizing, and so when, when, when we have someone stand in the water of baptism, and, 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 and the whole point of baptism is about being drenched and immersed and, 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 and like almost drowned in some ways. And so, you know, if you're getting baptized next week, don't, don't freak out, okay? Okay, you're not going to drown, okay? All right? But, but it is a point, and Peter talks about this, of how we're being brought safely through the waters of judgment, right? Like Noah was in the ark. And baptism is a symbol of that. And so when you, when you baptize someone and you put them under, there, there's, there's, this is the reason why we do immersion because we think it's the picture of it. Also, lexically, the word means to dip, plunge, immerse. So this is the reason why we do this. And so when you baptize someone like this, what you're saying is you're saying that you're being immersed in God's grace and God's forgiveness, but you're being also brought safely through uh, a judgment, okay? Because we are dying to sin. Sin causes death. Sin would destroy us, right? So Jesus then, he died for us. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says. And so this is the reason why back in the garden, Adam, God told Adam and Eve, do not eat of that one piece of fruit or that tree because in the day that you eat it, you will surely what? Die, right? Okay, this is why death is into the world. That's what Romans 5 is about. So Paul moves to Romans 6, and he says, listen, when you were baptized, you were baptized into his death, to Jesus' death. That was the payment for sin that was required. And he says, and when you, when you go through that, that right, when you go through that, that's a public declaration. You're, you're showing what God has done on the inside, okay? Now, we know that baptism isn't the actual, the, the, the dipping in the water. That's not what saves us, right? We know that. I mean, um, there was a thief on the cross that went to heaven without baptism. And then in Acts, we looked at a guy by the name of Simon that went to hell with baptism. So we know that that's not the reason. It, it's, it's not a, you, you just by getting wet, then you're going to go to heaven. But what it's saying is that we do this. God says, I want you to do this as a public declaration about being dead to sin. Sin no longer has dominion, verse 14 says. This is a, a beautiful thing. And so verse 11, he says, consider yourselves dead to sin. Now, what does this mean? Because you say, listen, I'm a Christian. I've been baptized, but I still sin. Right. Notice Paul doesn't say that you will never sin again, okay? He says that you're no longer in the dominion of it, though. And he says, consider yourselves dead to sin. 
You see, it's a way of showing that when we're baptized, what we're saying is we're saying, okay, I'm believing in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone and his death. And I'm, being, I'm going through this picture that he's asked me to publicly proclaim and be baptized, be immersed in, in showing how he has immersed my soul in mercy and forgiveness. And I'm identifying with him and the death that he died for me is what I'm clinging to. And I'm going to be brought up into a newness of life. And we'll get to that in a second here. But he's saying that this is uh, um, uh, uh, what, what is being shown here is that I, I can consider myself dead to sin. I don't have to sin anymore. Again, I'm not saying that we're never going to sin. Of course, we are struggling. It's a process. But he says, consider yourself dead to sin. So I said earlier that one of the goals was that it would, by considering baptism, and I don't have time to go through all of this in detail, but you know, I, I said that one of the goals was that there would be relief. Now, why? Um, so I say remembering baptism's significance and symbolism should bring relief to the Christians. Why do I say relief? Because here's what you need to understand. By looking at this and what God's Word tells us here is that sin really, for the Christian, it really is not as powerful as it feels. Okay? Sin really isn't as powerful as it feels. And it feels powerful. It feels like you have no other choice at times. The temptations that we face are great. And sometimes it's this reactionary. We, we respond in anger, right? And words come out of our mouth before we even think about it, right? And so I, I, I'm not saying it's not a struggle. But what I'm saying is that if, you, if you're truly a Christian, if you've believed in Christ, you know, what this baptism is symbolizing is saying, hey, that's dead no longer is sin as powerful as it feels to me. So what that means is anxiety and fear and inability to trust other people, drugs, alcohol, pornography, anger, lying, self-harm, stealing, dishonesty, they're not as powerful as we think they are. And baptism reminds us of this reality. And no longer do we have to do these things. Now, we can't say we can never say as Christians, I'm never going to sin again. That would, that would be dumb to say. We can't say that. But what we can say by what virtue, what baptism is symbolizing here, what Christ has done in us, what we can say is we can say, I don't have to sin today. I don't have to sin right now. So when you're faced with that choice and faced with that temptation, you can go back and say, you know what? Jesus Christ died for me. Jesus Christ died for me, and, and you know what he did is he, put, he took the penalty, and one of the, the effects of that is that, that sin no longer has dominion, verse 14. It has no longer dominion over me. It's not the ruler over me where I, I now have a different ruler in Jesus Christ. And when I was baptized, I was, I was publicly declaring that, and I was putting out a, 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 a show of, of what Christ has done internally. And so next week, when you see someone baptized, okay, be right up in there, and when you see someone, and they're going to go down in the water, and when they come back up, and we're all going to clap and cheer, and the reason why we do that is because what is being shown there is it says that, hey, no longer am I a slave to sin because of Jesus Christ. Sin does not have dominion over me like it once did. I don't have to do this anymore. It's a beautiful thing. And so this theological point is so important to us today that baptism, it reminds us that death is not always a bad thing because we're dead to sin. Now, don't misunderstand. It doesn't mean you'll never sin. It doesn't mean you won't struggle with sin. It just means in that moment of temptation, because of what Christ has done for you, 
that grip that it feels like it's a vice-like grip over you, it really is not as strong as it feels. Because now you have someone that you can run to. You have Jesus Christ, and you can say, you know what, Jesus, you paid for this. You did this, and, and when you died on the cross and you rose again, what you did is you broke the power of sin over me. Now, again, it feels strong at times, but it's because we've forgotten. In those moments, we've forgotten what Christ has done. In those moments, we've forgotten what salvation truly means. It's not about just, okay, in heaven, then, then when I die, I get to go to heaven. No, it's much bigger than that. It means that there's an equipment for this life. So look at verse 14. Sin will have no dominion over you. You are not under law, but under grace. You are emerged. You are submerged. You are drenched in the grace of God when you accept Christ and your baptism after that symbolizes that fact. And so I believe verse 14 should be a verse that you memorize, that you hold fast. You tape it on your bathroom mirror. You look at it every morning. You look at it and you say, sin has no dominion over me. And when you mess up, you ask forgiveness. And then you say, sin has no dominion over me. That's what baptism is symbolizing. And so next week, when you see this, or whenever you see a baptism, or if you're thinking back on your baptism, this is what should bring relief and say, you know what? These sins that feel like they control me, they no longer have the power over me that they feel like that they do based on God's word here. That's the first theological point. There's another one I want to make, and that is this. Baptism reveals the life we are designed to live. Okay, so baptism tells us that not all death is bad, death is sin, namely. Secondly, baptism reveals that the life that it reveals the life that we are designed to live here. Um, people are always chasing a, a life, a different life, or a life that they deserve, or they're trying to sell you on that. Um, I, I, you know, uh, I don't know if you've ever been at a place where someone wanted to uh, sell you a timeshare. Okay, and those can be really good. Right? Uh, in fact, you know, we've benefited from people's timeshares before and we're just so grateful for them. Uh, so I'm not saying that they're necessarily bad, but I will say it takes a special person to be a salesperson of a timeshare, right? Um, these people are relentless, okay? And you, you sit like, hey, we'll give you, we'll give you, if you, you know, we'll give you free tickets to the Dells if you just listen to this 10 minute presentation. In their minds, 10 minutes equals two hours, okay? But, you know, hey, that's fine. And so, so you sit down and you listen to this thing. And then there's things like, you know, you deserve this. You deserve You work hard, don't you? Tell me what you do for a living, you know? And I always, like, throw them for a curveball when I say I'm a pastor. They never know what to do with that. But, um, and so, you know, there's like, well, you know, you, you, you work hard, don't you? And I was like, no, I work one day a week, you know? I mean, <laughs> you know, what are you talking about? You know? And so, um, you know, uh, they'll say, well, you know, and they'll try to tally you up how much vacation time you have and all that stuff and everything. And then they'll say, listen, you know, you owe it to yourself. You owe it to your family you owe it to your children to have this life, right? And so this is one of the, the, the techniques, you know, that are used. I mean, we're always being told, you, any commercial you see, it's always about how that your life needs to be so much better than what it is, and you deserve a better life, and, you know, uh, um, uh, so we're always chasing this, this better life here. 
You know, baptism helps us here because what baptism is showing us is that coming up out of the water is symbolizes a new life, okay? If you look at verse 4, at the end of verse 4, it says, well, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life, okay? And so where Paul ties baptism and death to sin through the burial of Jesus Christ, the death and burial of Jesus Christ going underneath the water, when Jesus came up in the resurrection, right, when he came out of the tomb, there was a new life. There was a, 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 a a brand new life that he was living, and he had conquered sin. He had conquered death by doing that. And so he says, when you're baptized, okay, when, this is one of the reasons why he tells us to do this. He says, listen, I want you to symbolize this. I want you to show this. This will be a public declaration. Like one author, he says, baptism is when your faith goes public, right? This is when you need to make it go public, is that you go and you put underneath the water, death burial of Jesus Christ, but then when you come back up, it's like the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I, I tell people this when I talk to him about baptism, I say, listen, here's the deal. I'm going to put you under. Now, what if I, I put you under here, and then I decide for a second, listen, here's the deal. You know, this is just a powerful moment right here in this person's baptism. I mean, this person is signifying he is dead to sin right now. And so I just want to talk about this for a few minutes here while this person here is showing that he is dead to sin. And this is just a wonderful thing. I want you to look at this, okay? Take, take this in. We don't want to rush this here. Take this in here, right? Okay, what are you going to see? You're going to start seeing some feet kicking, right? Okay? And I'm like, hey, calm down here. I'm, I'm preaching a sermon here. And so, you know, it'd be tragic, right? I mean, it'd be flailing and stuff like that. It'd be on some of you. I know what some of you do. Some of you would just put it on YouTube. That's what you would do, right? Okay. You would just video the thing and the poor person dies and like, oh, here he goes on YouTube. Uh, but the point is, is if I did that, it would be problematic. I got to bring the person up, right? Okay. When I'm baptizing someone, I got to lift them up. Otherwise, it's problematic. Now, I've never lost a person in all the baptisms I've ever done, okay? I've got a 100% success rate in my baptisms, okay? I bring them up. Why? Because that is equally important in the symbolism. Newness of life. Newness of life. And so that's what's being said is when they come up out of the water, it's like a, a brand new life in Christ that is being symbolized that, that no longer are they enslaved to sin and no longer are they under sin's dominion and no longer do, are they under the, the penalty of sin. But what baptism is showing that has happened in that person by Jesus Christ is that they are alive in Christ Jesus, ready for a new life in Christ Jesus. It's a beautiful moment, isn't it? So here we have what baptism does is shows us a, this is a life that we're designed to live, a new life, walk in newness of life. Look at what the text says. It says here and says in verse 10, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he saves, he lives to God. Okay? That's so what Christ did. But then look at verse 13. He says, present yourselves to God, as those who have brought, been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. You see, this is the new life he's talking about here. He says, just as Jesus conquered death and came through death and has a new life, a life to God. He says, this is what your baptism is signifying, that you come up out of the water a new life to God. God and an instrument, not under the law of sin and, and, and devastation there, but as instruments of righteousness. 
You see, this is the beauty of baptism. The beauty of baptism is showing what Christ has done. And it's an opportunity to publicly declare this. And to the one who gave everything for us, the one who died for us and gave his life for us, he says, I want you to show, I, I, I want, there's a picture that I want you to show people of what I've done for you, okay? Because internally I've done this in your soul already, but, but I, there's a way that I want you to publicly show this to everybody. And yeah, you're going to get drenched. And yeah, your hair's going to be all sopping wet. And yeah, there's going to be water everywhere. But that's the point because my grace is overflowing. My love is overflowing. It's submerging every part of your being. And so when you come up out of the water, there's a new life, a life to God that you can live. It's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. So I said that remembering our baptism should bring relief that I don't have to sin like this anymore. It doesn't have the grip that it feels like it has on me. Sin it doesn't have that. But also, remembering our baptism should have a recalibrating effect on us. Now, what do I mean by that? When we think back about our baptism, if you have been a Christian and you've been baptized, and you think, okay, what was I saying in that moment? You're saying that your life was God's. You're saying that that your life was to God and that you were supposed to be instruments of righteousness. We can get distracted, can't we? We can lose our purpose after a while. We can start buying into all what, you know, consumes our thoughts and motives and things like that. And we can get off track and lose our purpose for a while. When you think back in your baptism, if you're a Christian and have been baptized, I want you to think back and say, you know what? That's what, when I came up out of the water, it was a new life that God had called me to. I need to recalibrate back to that moment. And so next week, when you see someone coming up out of the water, a newness of life, and you're celebrating that with them, let that have a recalibrating effect on you as well. This is what is being said. Our lives are not our own. Our lives are not our own. We are instruments of righteousness. And so there is my purpose. There is my goal because of what Christ has done for me. Baptism should have this recalibrating effect on us. And so our lives are for Christ. And so this is a a joyful, free life that that we all pursue really is only possible through Christ. Now notice I didn't say it was an easy life or free of pain. I'm not promising that if you come up out of the waters of baptism that now everything's going to be easy. In fact, actually, the opposite may be true. Baptism is such a a powerful testimony of what Christ has done for us and what our our purpose in life is. Let me tell you the story real quick. Some of you will recognize some of these names up there on the screen. In the 50s, there was a group of five people, five men and their families, um, Christian men, a young Christian man, they went down to Ecuador and they were trying to reach a group of people, the Auk Indians there, of trying to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And um, you can read uh, Jim Elliott, the guy in the center there, you can read his journals, which has been published, and he tells the events leading up to uh, this. And, uh, and he, he talks about how they made some good contact and, and things like that. Um, But in 1956, as January 8th, I believe it was, of 1956, they had made contact and they landed their plane on the beach and 
they seemed like that they had a, a good relationship and they were looking forward to taking their relationship to the next level. And we don't know all the details of what happened, but uh, they were killed. All five of them were killed uh, by the, the native population. And they knew that was a possibility. It was a devastating moment, devastating day. Um, you can read a book called Through Gates of Splendor, written by Jim's wife, Elizabeth, on this. Uh, there's a movie called The End of the Spear, which was done. Uh, it highlights the, the story as well. Very good. Both I recommend. But you know, the story, if the story just ended there, it'd be tragic, but it doesn't. Family members of these five individuals here, who all five of them were killed, they went back and they established relationships with the very people who killed their husbands and father. Um, they lived among the tribe, and they evangelized the very people that had killed the ones that they loved the most. Nate's saying here, he was a pilot, the one right here, second from the right here, he was a pilot, and he, has, uh, he had a couple children, uh, Steve, Saint, and um, Kathy. Later on, as uh, they moved in with the tribe as well, um, and they began to uh, see these people come to know Christ as their Savior. And as young Nate and his sister Kathy were growing up, they too converted to Christ as well. There's a powerful, powerful picture here, and that is of in the back is um, in the back is Steve saying uh, kids standing there waiting to be baptized and it's his sister Kathy being baptized by two men who had killed their father but now they're Christians now they're set free now they have a new life and they're baptizing them it's some of the things that they said, they said, um, um, one of the persons who was baptizing said this. He says, it was by his father's grave that we baptized Steve when he was a little older. It was right up the river there, and he brought his mother too. Kathy, who was baptized, she says, I was in the same water where my dad's body had been thrown. And at either side of me were the two men that in their youth had killed dad. And all I knew was I really loved those two guys. How is that possible? How is that possible? It's possible because of what baptism symbolizes. Dead to sin. New life in Christ. I'm not saying that I wasn't difficult. I'm not saying that life is going to be easy. But what I am saying, I'm saying that this is the power of baptism. This is the reason why Jesus wants us to do that because there's a symbol of what internally God has done in our souls, that he has changed us. A sin no longer has a dominion over us. We have a new life in Christ, a life that is possible to forgive even those who would kill your father because of their repentance. See, they weren't called to forgive him undiscriminately, but they had repented, and so they did forgive. And so this is this, this new life in Christ. And being alive in Christ Jesus, I don't know if you, you noticed that it says that 
Um, it says that we are, 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 are uh, alive in Christ Jesus in uh, what is it, verse 11, so that you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And only because of what Christ has done for us makes a new life that possible, a life, as I said before, that is, that is immersed in love, drenched in grace, saturated in mercy. And so these two theological points that I just wanted to bring up today before I talk about some common uh, obstacles— I hope that that just radically changes the way you look at baptism. I hope that it brings relief to you knowing, okay, it's possible to, to live this life in a way that is pleasing to God. I hope that looking back at baptism is a, is a, is a, has a recalibrating effect and say, listen, this is what we're supposed to be living like. This is how it is. It's not about getting caught up with everything going on in the world and all the difficulties and things like this. It's, it's about a new life in Christ Jesus. And so... I hope that today it brings relief and recalibration. I hope that some of you, I hope you, you, you join us next week and, and be baptized. I know some of you probably need to be baptized, and, and I hope that, that next week is the week. Um, but if not, we'll always we'll fill the tank at any time. As you pray about it, you ask your questions, we'll fill the tank at any time. I told you I want to end with some common obstacles. And so let me go through these common obstacles that I've heard over the last couple decades of ministry. So I, I was baptized as an infant. Do I really need to be baptized as an adult? I'm just kind of jumping in on the real hard one right away, okay? So I'm just throwing myself on the grenade here, okay? Um, well, here's the deal, is that baptism in the Bible is always an expression of faith, okay? It's always connected to an expression of faith, Okay, the most clear examples of baptism in the Bible are always after people confess Jesus Christ. Those are all the most clear examples. Uh, Matthew chapter 28 in the Great Commission, it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Okay, so it says you need to go, as Christians, you need to go and make disciples of all nations. Then this is what he says how to do it. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all they have commanded you, and I'm with you always to the end of the earth. That's Matthew 28, 19, and 20. But notice, he says, here's how you make disciples, is that you know that they're a disciple when they're being baptized and being taught. And so it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's an expression of faith. Acts 2.38, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, Again, uh, it's possible, it's technically possible to not be baptized and go to heaven, okay? We don't believe in what's called baptismal regeneration where you have to be baptized in order to go to heaven. But there is is no uh, uh, distinction in the New Testament of removing baptism from the conversion process. I mean, people who believed in Christ and followed Christ, they were baptized. We looked in Acts, the Ethiopian. It was like, uh, obviously, uh, Philip had been talking to him about it because they came to some water, and he says, hey, what's hindered me from being baptized? Obviously, Philip had told him that this is the way you express outwardly your faith in Christ Jesus. And so they went down into the water, and so they needed a lot of water for the immersion, and so they went down into the water. Acts teaches us that. Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, it says, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised through him or with him through faith 
in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Did you notice it? It says, in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith. And so it's always connected to faith in the scriptures. And so I would say that if you're you're looking at what baptism teaches or what the New Testament teaches about baptism, it's always an expression of faith. And so infants have a real hard time expressing faith, right? And faith in Christ. And so again, if and I know many, I know several of you here have, were baptized as infants. And so I'm not casting stones, and I'm not trying to to make you feel bad or anything like that. I'm just trying to teach you what the New Testament says. You do with that what you want. But what I'm saying is that the New Testament is always explicit that you uh, express your faith in uh, by being baptized. And so. Baptism is expression of faith. So if you're saying, well, man, I, I want to express my faith, but I was baptized as an infant, I would say this, get baptized because it always comes after salvation. And so you say, okay, well, I don't know. Let me think about that. Yeah, you think about that. You pray about that. And I'll be happy to have any conversation with you about that and we can talk about that. Um, Notice that in Romans chapter 6, Paul assumed baptism for believers. He just assumed that they would be baptized. He says, when you were baptized, because this, this idea of separating baptism from conversion is really a foreign concept in the New Testament. It just is not there. Okay? So that would be how I would answer that first objection, and we can talk more about that if you'd like to sometime. Second object, uh, obstacle, what will people think? I mean, this can come in different ways. You know, I was baptized when I was younger, but I, I, I know I wasn't a Christian. So should I be baptized again? What are people going to think? Or I grew up in this church, everyone assumes I've been baptized. You know, what are people going to think? Um, I'm too old uh, is another one. I, uh, a few years ago, some of you remember when uh, I baptized uh, C.A. Quinn before he went home to be with the Lord. Man was in his 80s. And we saw him baptized, and he wanted to show his faith in Jesus Christ and by being baptized. And it was a wonderful moment. Some of you remember that. But some people think, you know, like, you know, what, you know, what are people going to think and, and, and all that? Well, let me tell you two stories real quickly here. One, uh, a church that I served in previous to this, is there was uh, one of the pastors on staff, uh, his wife, who came to realize that she was... She said, you know, I've been wrestling with this for years that, um, you know, I need to be baptized. And, um, but I've, I've always been concerned. Like, what are people in the church going to think? And my husband is one of the pastors and his wife isn't baptized. I, I never wanted that to be a problem. And so I just, but she just came to the conviction of I just have to be baptized. And so she asked to be baptized. I'm going to tell you another story. There was a pastor that I know, okay, who stood before the church and said, I have been faking for years. I have not been a Christian. And I confess that. I've been going through the motions. And so I confess that I was wrong. And I know this man personally. And he said, Please forgive me, but I have accepted Christ as my Savior, and I need to be baptized to show you that. A pastor. A pastor's wife. In both situations, and I was there, everyone celebrated. There wasn't a single person who said, wait a minute, how dare you do that? Wait, this is not good. 
every person celebrating. So if you're thinking, what are people going to think of me? I guarantee you, next week or whenever you're baptized, we will rejoice. Am I right about that, people? Amen? Amen? We will rejoice with you. So don't, don't, don't fall into that trap. Excuse me. That is a constant uh, obstacle. What will people think? There's another obstacle. I don't want to join the church. Okay? We see in Acts 2 that they were saved, they were baptized and added to the church. And so as part of, uh, that's one way to join the church here is when you're baptized, it's part of the church you're joining to the church. You say, well, I don't know if I want to join the church. Well, we can talk more about that, but where I'll say this is that that this is a symbol of entering the family of God, okay? I'm not saying it is when you enter the family of God. I'm saying that baptism is that symbol of now I am part of Christ, okay? I've been immersed in Christ, and I've been brought to a new life and identifying with Christ's family and Christ's uh, people. And so it just only makes sense that then you would join the local representation of that body, okay? Um, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16 says, when every part is working together, okay? That's the body working together. So when we're baptized, we're saying that, yeah, I want to be part of that group of people here. Now, there have been times in the past where we have, for various, uh, you know, a couple circumstances, we've baptized someone and they haven't joined the church. That's, that's not really the, the standard practice, but it has happened for uh, a couple extenuating circumstances. So we're not so rigid on that that, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's the, uh, the only way. But we would say, and we would just want to have that conversation, why wouldn't you want to f- uh, formally join uh, a fellowship where you're being baptized uh, together? So that would be a conversation we might have. Um, in, in church membership, as we see that uh, uh, a concept in the Bible of being in and out of the church, added to, things like that. And so baptism is a confession that we need and want to follow Jesus. And a major part of following Jesus is to be united with his people. And that's one of the reasons why we say, okay, when you're baptized, you're saying that you want to be united with these fellow Christians uh, in Christ. So think about that. But then uh, here's the last one. This is probably the most common obstacle is that being in front of people scares me. I get it. You know, being up in front and, you know, you... I mean, when you, when you come up out of the water, I mean, you know, some of us look better than others, you know, when, when that happens. You know, sometimes we look like drowned rats or something like that, and you're like, man, I don't want to, you know. But, you know, isn't that part of that we just, God gives grace to the humble, and, and it's not about our appearance. It's not about our looks. It's about what Christ has done for us. But I get being in front of people is, is scary, or sometimes even a fear of water comes into play here. Um, but let me just encourage you to think about what Christ did publicly for you. And I get speaking in front of people is the number one fear that people have. I, I still get nervous speaking in front of people, so I understand. I've been doing it for years and years and years. I, I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. But I, I just got to go back to what Christ did for us. And that has to give us the motivation to be able to read a statement of what Christ has done for us and stand in front of people and be baptized. So please don't let the fear of being in front of people hinder you from obeying what God has asked you to do. It wasn't the most comfortable thing for Jesus to hang on a cross publicly naked, but he did that because it was love for you. 
I, think, I don't think it's too much for him to ask for us to stand in front of other people and confess him. And one of the ways he's told us the primary, the initial ways, through the waters of baptism. Matthew chapter 10 says this. It says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus makes it very clear. You have to publicly confess who I am. And one of the ways he does it, he gives us a picture to do that through baptism. There was a story I read just recently about a missionary. A guy was on a trip to Malaysia. He was on a mission trip to eastern Malaysia. And he attended a small church there. At one of the church worship services, there was a teen girl who um, told the church that she wanted to follow Jesus Christ and be baptized. It was during the service that this pastor who was on this mission trip over to uh, uh, Malaysia, he, he noticed some uh, uh, worn-out uh, luggage sitting by the, uh, uh, by the wall there. And he asked the pastor about it, the pastor of the church. He says, you know, what, what's with the luggage there? And the pastor, he pointed to this girl who had just been baptized, this teen girl. And he told him, he says, you know, her father told her that if she was ever baptized as a Christian, she could never go home again. So she brought her luggage to church today. You know, she was willing to, to give everything for Christ. Now, thankfully, by God's kindness to us, we don't have that pressure. Most of us don't have that pressure here. So I understand that being in front of people is a real fear, and I don't want to minimize that. But at the same time, I do need to lovingly say that Jesus really isn't asking too much of us to do this. We're here with you. We try to make it easy as possible, helping you with the fear, helping you with the speaking, things like that. But our desire to identify with Christ should trump any fear that we have. So today, if you're a Christian, find relief in the fact that sin no longer has dominion over you that it once did. Baptism symbolizes that. If you're a Christian here today, let today's reminder about baptism have a recalibrating effect on your life's purpose, goals, and what you put your energy into. If you're a Christian but you have not been baptized after your belief in Christ, the tank's going to be full next week. Talk to me. I'd love to add you to that. If you're not a Christian today, today's the day. Behold, today is the day of salvation. The Bible says, call upon the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. And guess what? The tank will be full next week, and you can be baptized. There's no long waiting process. Let's talk about you understanding the gospel, and you can express that in, uh, through the waters of baptism. And the reason why we can be baptized is because we have a wonderful Savior. We have a merciful Savior. And so let's sing that song. Let's stand together. Father, as we're going to sing this song, Wonderful, Merciful Savior, Father, I pray, God, I pray earnestly that uh, we think through what baptism symbolizes, that we are dead to sin but alive to Christ. That's the beauty of the wonderful work of our merciful Savior, that no longer do I have to be under sin's dominion, no longer do I have to be under its power, and that my life has purpose and meaning, and I can be motivated to follow you because of Jesus Christ. And Father, for those who are wrestling with this concept and need to repent and be saved. I pray you give them the courage and the ability to do that. And Father, for those who need to be baptized, I pray you'd help them overcome their fears and the obstacles and join us next week and be baptized. Truly, Jesus, you are a wonderful, merciful Savior. It's your name we do pray.
Amen.